millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jedekin. Should we start out the show by thanking our lovely patrons? I think we should. Okay, cool. These people donated over at patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. This week we had Sarah, Olivia, Caitlin, Jennifer, Nicole, Amanda, Melanie, Gina, Beth, Donna, Victoria, Meredith, Izzy, Megan, Jennabelle, Germani, Marnie, Lauren, Elise, Stephanie, Sarah, Chanel, Shannon, Rumble Snort, and Nathan. Thanks, guys. Thank you guys so much. Okay, Desi, here is episode two of our month of horror movies versus realities. And I have picked a movie that I find particularly frightening, and that is the 1979 movie, When a Stranger Calls. Right. I love it, too. It's a good movie. I mean, it, it, if you haven't seen it, it stars Carol Kane when she was pretty young, and I love Carol Kane. Yeah, me too. I'll watch her in anything. So it's, it's, she's not, it's not like a funny role, she's, but she is really good in this, mm-hmm. so I recommend it. It's really hard to actually find... This movie online, but there is a full version of it on YouTube, so that's where I watched it. Okay, to do this episode, uh, and it is actually inspired by a real life case that happened in 1950. That's pretty horrifying. I just wanted to say, uh, talk about up top about the babysitter and the man upstairs urban legend. Okay, you've heard this urban legend before. Yes. Yeah. So. I'm going to read from Snopes, uh, which is where someone wrote down the urban legend. Even though I know it, I'm just I'm reading what this person wrote on Snopes. And basically, the urban legend goes, a young couple living in a large, isolated house had gone out to a dinner party one evening and left the babysitter in charge of their two children. The children had been put to bed, and the babysitter was watching television when the phone rang. She answered, but all she heard was a man laughing hysterically and then a voice saying, I'm upstairs with the children. You better come up. Thinking it was one of those phone calls or a practical joke, she slammed down the receiver and turned the television sound up. A short time later, the phone rang again, and as she picked up, the unmistakable hysterical laughter came down the line, and the voice once again said, I'm upstairs with the children. You'd better come up. Getting rather frightened, she called the operator and was advised that they would notify the police, and should he phone again, could she keep him talking in order to give them time to trace the call and have him arrested? Minutes after she replaced the, re- she replaced the receiver, the phone rang again. When the, fo- when the voice said, I'm upstairs with the children, you'd better come up. She tried to keep him talking. However, he must have guessed what she was trying to do, and he put the phone down. Only seconds later, the phone rang again. This time it was the operator who said, get out of the house straight away. The man is on the extension. So 
Yeah, that's the yeah. urban legend that, I mean, I heard when I was a kid. Yeah. It's like a pretty popular one where it's like, oh my God, the, the call's coming from inside the house. Right. And I think when a stranger calls is where the call is coming from inside the house originated, I would say. Yeah, That definitely. exact line. Yes. Um, and, and of course, you know, in that movie, the caller said like, this is, this is like the cold opening of the movie is basically this scene. Right. Uh, and it's really frightening. It's so scary. I mean, (laughs) I think any, I think every horror fan should see this movie, especially because, you know, uh, movies like scream recreated it with their cold open with Drew Barrymore. Like that's heavily Mm -hmm. influenced by this film. That's the urban legend we're talking about. I wanted to also briefly mention another variation of the babysitter urban legend, and that one chills me to my core. And basically that one is the kids are sleeping upstairs. The babysitter wants to watch TV in the parents' room, so uh, she she calls the parents and she says, hey, I, I just was wondering if it was okay if I could watch your satellite television in your bedroom. And they say, yeah, yeah, that's okay. And she goes, okay, cool. Well, also, yeah, I just have another question. Could I cover up the clown statue with a blanket or something? It's really freaking me out. And then the parents say, get the children, get out of the house right now. (laughs) They didn't have a clown statue. I never heard that one. That one's so fucking scary. (laughs) What? It's scary. It's scary, but it's so unbelievable. Like I would definitely be like, that's an urban legend. <laughs> Your clown, like the clown statue. I'm sorry, it's making me laugh. <laughs> Wait, I have a story, but maybe I'll save it to the end. No, just say it now. The baby. Okay, when I used to babysit, I once got a phone call and I answered the phone, and I was like alone. It was really late at night, and it was a guy who I thought was calling for the parents. Yeah. So I was talking to him, and he kept extending the conversation and it got very uncomfortable and he kept saying like how old are you like when are you like and you're babysitting the kids and I was trying to be very polite to him because I was like oh it's the friend of the parents and then at some point I like realized something was off and I said I said who are you calling for again it was the wrong name it was a wrong number (gasps) and I was like I gotta go bye (laughs) (laughs) like but it was so fucking scary and I was freaking the fuck out like were you young like a teen? Yeah, I was like a teen. Like I was babysitting. I, I, I started babysitting at, at 13. Like, yeah. So I don't remember what exact age. I, I probably was about 13 or 14. I was 12 when I started. Um, So I was like fucking scared as hell. Like, right. Because then I had to be in the home by myself at that point. And I didn't want to call the parents and be like, oh, I'm an idiot. And someone called and I thought it was for you. And I kept talking to them. But it was like really scary. And I had seen the movie and knew the urban legend, right. obviously. So yeah, that was my like babysitting. For some reason, the other detail I remember is that they had, I was in their bed, like watching TV or something. And they had satin sheets. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember... Uh, being on them and thinking like you know you're a kid you have these ideas of things you're like I'm gonna get satin sheets when I get older I wanted them so bad and then I was in them I was like these fucking suck they're not comfortable they're not comfortable you're like gliding around there's no traction not that I was getting laid or something in the bed no but but they're like they don't breathe they're not breathable there's something like really I was like oh I fucking hate these like yeah yeah, so no I really wanted pink satin sheets when I was a kid and I remember I like actually like sought out to buy them when I was in like er my early high school years 
And I remember like being at some bedding store and the woman looked me right in the eye and she was like, you actually don't want satin sheets. They're not comfortable. You idiot. You idiot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Satin sheets are not comfortable and also water beds, not well, comfortable. Yeah, water beds. Right. Come on. But both, but of, those both of those things I wanted. I wanted satin sheets on my fucking water. Right. <laughs> that was the pinnacle I was of class. Horned. <laughs> we were sleazy at a young age. So sleazy. But, but I did yeah. have a tiger print bedspread. Ooh. Yeah. Well, animal prints. I had cotton. <laughs> I had animal print everything Me when too. I was a kid. I love it. It's yeah. a neutral. It I is mean, a neutral. Come on. come on. Okay. So now that we've gotten our laughs out of the way, I'm going to tell a pretty horrific story. Okay. Uh, that is about a babysitter. My main sources for this were old newspaper articles as well as an article from the Columbia Daily Tribune written by T.J. Greeny. Now, this is the story of a girl named Janet Christman. Janet was born March 21st, 1936 in Columbia, Missouri to Charles and Lula Christman. She was the oldest child of three. The Christmans lived above Ernie's Cafe, which was the restaurant that Janet's parents owned and ran. In 1950, Janet was attending Jefferson Junior High School. She had some friends, but her real interest was music, specifically playing piano, and she liked to do that more than attending social events. On a cold and rainy March 18, 1950, Janet's eighth grade class was having a dance, but Janet wouldn't attend that Saturday night. She wanted to save her money for a new suit for Easter, so she decided to babysit for the Romack family and their three-year-old son, Greg. Janet periodically babysat for two different families, the Mueller's and the Romacks. Mr. Romack picked Janet up at her home around 6.30 p.m. that Saturday night. He took her back to the six-room, one-story Romack house. The home was on Stewart Road in a fairly isolated rural area just on the edge of Columbia. Before Mr. and Mrs. Romack left, Ed Romack showed Janet how to use their shotgun, just in case. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. He left it by the door. He also told Janet to turn on their porch light if anyone came by. At around 8 p.m., Mr. and Mrs. Romack left for their date at the Moon Valley Villa on the other side of town, which was a dancing and dining establishment. Ooh. Yeah, it sounds fun. The night was going to be a fairly easy night of babysitting for Janet, as Greg was going to bed soon, so... And when she put the three-year-old to bed, she turned the radio on for him because he liked to sleep with it on. That evening in Boone County was mostly uneventful, save for the blustery winds and sleet storm that was going on outside. But at 10.35 p.m., Officer Roy McGowan at the Sheriff's Department received a frightening call. The caller was a panicked woman. She was screaming, but all that he could make out was, come quick, before the line went dead. Oof. The phone call was unable to be traced because this was 1950 yeah. and the call was so short. It was cut off. Uh, there, were no, there were a few different reasons, like I think most specifically because the technology they had available at that time. Right. The call was just yeah. not able to be traced. And Officer McGowan had just hoped that the woman who had called would call back to at least offer up information as, as to where she as was. As to where she was. But that call never came. The Romex returned to their home at 1.35 a.m. The front porch light was on and the blinds were open. The front door was unlocked, which was very unusual. When they entered the living room, they were met with a grisly scene. 13-year-old Janet Christman was lying in the living room by the piano in a pool of blood. 
There was blood tracked throughout the house and smeared on the walls, from the phone in the kitchen, through the hallway, and to the living room, and it indicated that there was quite a struggle that had gone on. Mr. and Mrs. Romack immediately ran to their son's bedroom to find the three-year-old sound asleep and unharmed. (gasps) I mean, that has to be the most scary moment of your entire life on so many different levels. Yeah, it's horrible. Police arrived and they examined the scene. Janet's scalp was covered in odd puncture wounds and her face had been scratched at. There were also additional wounds on both sides of her head that indicated that she had been bludgeoned with a metal pipe or some kind of thing like that. Now, because the pattern of blood smeared on the floor and the fact that Janet's skirt was hiked up around her waist, this indicated that she had been dragged from the hallway and into the living room. Janet had also been raped. The killer had left Janet posed with her legs spread apart. Her cause of death was asphyxiation. She had been strangled with a cord that had been cut from an iron. The cord was lying near her body. And whoever the killer was took this iron from the sewing room and had cut it with a piece of sewing shears in the room because the scissors were found nearby. The phone was found dangling off the hook. So that indicated that the killer saw her on the phone make the phone call to the police and wrestled it from her. Mrs. Romack said that she had attempted to call home that night at around 11 p.m. because she was worried that her son might be afraid of the thunderstorm and she wanted to check up on him. But the line was busy. And she figured it was okay. And I also read that she thought like, oh, the party line must be busy. Someone else must be on right. the line. I don't really know exactly how that works, but I assume... Party lines? It, like every, It would be multiple houses using the same number, basically. Right. So when you would pick up your phone, you would hear them talking. and ha- So you're kind of sharing a line with other residents in your right. neighborhood. So it can be busy for multiple reasons. That's what I suspected. Yeah. So she just figured it was either that or that, you know, it's 11 p.m. He's probably asleep. It's fine. Like right. she would have called. She didn't think the worst. So... I mean, the, the horrifying thing is when she called at 11 p.m., Janet was probably already dead by then. Ugh. Yeah. In the living room, a shattered window showed the killer's point of, like, suspected point of entry. But curiously, none of the items by that window in the living room had been disturbed. The piano rack showed that different sheet music had been placed there that was then that had been there before the Romax left, which indicated that Janet had possibly played some music at some point during that night. The radio was also left on at a low volume, but by that point, the broadcast had ended, so it was just the low hum of static. Now, Fred Whitley, who was the Romax neighbor, he lived next door with his family, and he said that he saw the front porch light on that night, but he didn't think anything of it because Mr. Romax had been working late recently. He told police that perhaps the killer had waited until him and his family went to sleep to enter the home. Whitley said that his family went to sleep just before 11. And before the family went to sleep, he said that they were all drinking coffee in the living room and that they were drinking in front of the window that faced the Romac home. Okay. But even if the Whitley family had been awake, Janet's screams were probably muffled by the raging thunderstorm that was going on outside. So it was pretty loud. It was a very loud storm that night. It was also surmised that Janet may have been unaware of the initial break-in due to that loud storm. Right. So a lot of things at play here. 
Police took blood samples from the home as well as fingerprints and also a footprint that they had found in a patch of sleet near the broken window. And the next day, bloodhounds were sent to try and track the path of the killer, but they didn't get very far. Right. And obviously, there's only so much they could do with those blood samples at that point in time. Because it's 1950. On March 21st, on what would have been Janet's 14th birthday, a $1,000 reward was offered by the Columbia Junior Chamber of Commerce. A funeral service and burial for Janet occurred the same day. Police Chief E.M. Pond urged the public to send in tips of anyone they saw acting strangely or anyone who had scratches on them. Police were also brought in from the city to work the case, which was much to the dismay of the local sheriff's department. Yeah, they're like... This was like a bunch of dueling dick measuring contest police officers in this story, which, because of all these police... Look... (laughs) This is a story that I thought was about one thing when I started researching it, but it turned into a story of the most horrific things that the the police do. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> so it, it's it's pretty awful. Um, and the and the first problem with this investigation was basically this dick measuring competition of the two different like sheriff like the the local sheriffs and the city police that were supposed to be working on this case together those kinds of things fucking infuriate me oh my god i fucking hate it it's like they don't care about the greater purpose i don't have that gene like whatever it is competitive with like do you know what i mean well it's like it's not a fucking like hockey competition it's yeah some, it's like someone was murdered yeah get your shit together be ha- you should be happy someone's wanting to help right who have better tools maybe there were major tensions between these two police divisions there wasn't any communication going on and the case was just not being effectively investigated police did bring in a ton of suspects but they went nowhere One man they brought in, Henry Bates, was a carpenter with the local carpenters union, and he was brutally beaten up while in police custody. The union made a formal complaint against the police, and of course the police denied that that ever happened. But it did happen because there were witnesses. And it's like, that's believable. Yeah. (laughs) It's not that hard to believe that that happened. The other thing that was preventing this investigation from being effectively solved was the serious racism of all the policemen. A columnist at the Columbia Tribune named Warren Dalton was deputized at that point. Like Mm -hmm. they were just deputizing civilians for help also. Um, and, and he actually witnessed police chief EM pond pursue a black man on the street late one night. And this is a quote from him. The chief jumped out of the car, and the man ran between two buildings. The chief shot, but he missed him. He ducked around the building, and we never caught him. He was running as fast as he could. So they were basically just, like, trolling around, looking for random black men on the street, and saying, I guess that guy looks suspicious. To be a suspect in the case? Yes. Oh. And was there any indication that the person was black? Or they were just basically thinking it was? No, there was no, no witnesses there, or anything. There was absolute no. This was just pure racism. Oh my god! Yeah, another black man was interrogated by police. Twenty-seven-year-old Jake Bradford Jr., who had been accused of an attempted rape the year prior of this girl named Sally Johnson. 
Now, the accusation was made solely on the basis that Jake's build and voice may have been similar to her attacker. Sally actually testified that she could not identify Jake. She was like, I can't say that that's my attacker. Right. I can't make a positive ID on him. My assailant was wearing a mask. Oh. But the police really wanted to nail this kid. So Jake had actually signed a confession letter But he later recanted, stating that he had been assaulted while in police custody and intimidating into signing that confession. Yeah. Now, Jake Bradford had also been held without charge for a week before he signed that false confession. So they're fucking up all over the place. Yes. Acting. This entire Missouri police, like in this county. And where are the big city people coming from? Like, what's the big city? I, so it's Boone County. I guess, like, they're from coming from Columbia proper. So it's not that big of a city. No. Just, like, the bigger city. No, but, yeah. yeah. So Jake also was not offered a lawyer while he was in custody either. Jake Bradford was convicted of attempted rape and sentenced to five years in prison. Jake appealed, and his conviction was overturned, and he was released in 1954, but he still wound up serving four years yeah. in prison. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Meanwhile, police chief Pond brought in some totally random black guy that he assumed may have been the guy who he shot at that night. Oh and it God. wasn't him. Yeah. It was just like, oh, I think like they were literally just bringing in black men what off is the this, street. Like, boss hog? Like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> these, it's fucking, it's so it gross. It seems like in a bad, like Burt Reynolds movie, like the type of police who are just like racist, like idiots, you know, like these cops are not only extremely racist, they're also extremely fucking stupid. Yeah. Just Now, just four years earlier, less than a mile from where Janet Christman was raped and murdered, a similar crime had occurred. Yeah. On the night of February 5th, 1946, 20-year-old Mary Lou Jenkins was raped and murdered in her home. Like Janet, Mary Lou was also strangled to death with an electrical cord. Police interviewed people close to Mary Lou but found no leads. And they had no physical evidence to work with either. At one point, the Columbia police questioned 20 different young black boys and relentlessly interrogated each of them. According to Larry Monroe, a Columbia, Missouri resident, he was quoted in the Columbia Tribune when he was, a, when he was adult. And he basically said that whenever a white woman was raped in Columbia, that all the black men in town were on lockdown. Yeah. He said, quote, I was a teenager and the police came into Douglas and the police had all the teenage boys line up around the gym. They came in and examined our faces because supposedly the victim scratched her assailant up pretty badly. Now, the school that Larry was at that they went to was an all black school. This was, of course, during segregation. Mm -hmm. A few weeks later, police arrested a 34 year old disabled black man named Floyd Cochran at a dump where he was found drinking lye in an attempt to kill himself. Mm. So they had, 
they arrested him for attempting to commit suicide. They were like, he's insane. He needs to be committed. Floyd was to be committed to the Fulton State Hospital following an examination from a doctor. Floyd's siblings went to his home to get the signature required to commit him by his wife, May. And that's when they discovered his wife, May's body. During a rigorous 10-hour interrogation, Floyd confessed to both the murder of his wife and the rape and murder of Mary Lou Jenkins. But not only was the police interrogation highly unethical, but Floyd Cochran was also not mentally there. Yeah. He had really limited mental capabilities at that point, and police knew this about him. Of course. He had just been checked out by a doctor, yeah. but they relentlessly interrogated him on this this murder of his wife, but also this totally unrelated to him murder. Floyd even had trouble remembering the names of his close relatives. So for her to so for him to make this assertion that he had also killed this other woman was like yeah you know probably not true yeah there was also no evidence suggesting that floyd raped and murdered mary lou jenkins now freud cochran pleaded guilty to the murder of his wife may and was sentenced to 15 years in prison for the murder trial of mary lou jenkins floyd's lawyer attempted to get his confession thrown out arguing that it was coerced but he lost and the confession was made admissible During testimony, Floyd's grandfather provided an alibi for his grandson. They had been together all night during Mary Lou's murder. Neighbors even corroborated this. Wow. But the all-white jury found Floyd Cochran guilty, and he was sentenced to death. On September 26, 1947, he was executed. (gasps) The rape and murder of Mary Lou Jenkins is considered solved. Damn. Even though... Probably not. Probably not. Yeah. Most likely not. So now we're back in 1950. I just needed to give you a history of right. of this town and this area and what's well, going on. Well, not only on. that, if, if he didn't do it and it was the same person who does... Well, the crimes are very similar. Yeah, and so that could have... He could have been put away before he killed again. Like, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I mean, the crimes are so similar. Yeah. Uh, it's two young women who are attacked inside of homes when they're, while they're alone with an electrical, electrical cord. Yeah. I mean, it even said in the, in the story, like when they broke the story right after Janet died, when ja- after Janet was murdered, they even said, this is very similar to a case we had four years ago. Yeah. Huh. It's like, oh, yeah, really? And they're like, but I guess we already got that guy. Yeah. Okay. It's, <laughs> it's it, really frustrating. It's beyond infuriating. Now, police deputy uh, Wedemeyer reached the conclusion that the murder was an inside job, meaning that Janet knew her attacker and also someone knew the Romack house. After eliminating all known suspects who fit both of those things, police had one dude as their prime suspect. This is two months after the murder. Okay. In May of 1950, two months after Janet's murder, 27-year-old Air Force veteran Robert Mueller was arrested. I'm sorry. I just, (laughs) the whole time I was writing this, like I could not stop laughing that this guy's name was Robert Mueller. I know. The minute you said his name, I thought of that um, stripper cartoon character that someone 
Drew. Oh, oh the Krasenstein brothers. Yeah, when you said Robert Mueller, like when when I hear his name now, that image, the image flashes. Me too. I'm like, that's how I see him. I literally in like a Chippendales dancing outfit or I, whatever. I literally <laughs> forgot what his real face looks like. I only picture the Krasenstein drawing. Oh, right, that's crazy. I feel really sad that they're not on Twitter for all the news I that's going them. on. I miss them too. In they were they were awful but also so wholesome. I didn't follow them, but I did like seeing the retweets sometimes. But yeah. I do think of them often when a news story breaks. I was like, oh they would have loved it. They this. were so bad <laughs> that they were good. Yeah. It was like that level. Absolutely. That they were terrible but so, great. And this Air Force guy is white? Yes. Okay. 27-year-old Air Force veteran Robert Mueller was arrested. Now, Robert Mueller was the father of one of the other families for whom Janet had babysat. Oh. He was also close with the Romacks. Him and Mr. Romack had been friends since childhood. Now, Robert was familiar with the Romack home, and the Muellers frequently went over to each other's homes for dinner and parties. So he was in this home a lot. Okay. He knew the layout of this Romack house. Robert had also on occasion borrowed their iron from the Romac really? home. Yes. It's, <laughs> look, he specifically borrowed the iron. I thought that was, that's a very specific detail. Yeah. Uh, and he knew which room that the iron was kept in. Okay. Robert had also been known to make comments about Janet Christman's figure in the past, Ugh. saying the classic perv line, oh, you're very well developed for your age. Ugh. God, I fucking hate that. I mean, I feel like every young girl in her life has had some creepy older guy say those words to them. Aren't you? Aren't you filling out nicely? Developing. Developing. Why do they? It's so gross. It's like they're trying to be scientific, but it's actually the most disgusting way of saying it. Because it's like like you're acknowledging that I'm still a child. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, you know, I'm still a child. But I'm becoming a woman. Like, I'm getting womanly features. It's so gross. They should all be killed. That is like the number one red flag. Oh, man. I mean, I did have like, by the way, another, the the guy where I got the pervy phone call, that guy, that father of that family was a little pervy. With you? Yeah. And the reason I stopped babysitting was he would drive me, or not drive me home, but walk me home because I lived in the apartment building next to him. He didn't do anything, but there was one time when I got walked home where I felt weird. Like, it was like, I can't remember. It wasn't anything overt, but there was just something about the questioning that was kind of like... I don't want to be alone with him. I'd rather walk. I'm safer walking home alone. Like, right. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I don't know that he would have done anything, but it was just like, like what you're saying, developing like that kind of thing, like a little too interested in a teen girl's life. Like, I feel like an adult male should be dropping me home and be like, okay, goodbye. Like, that's it. I don't need to have a little conversation with him. Like, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. As if that wasn't bad enough. There was also a claim, uh, according to Ed Romack, the the the, the dad, mm-hmm. uh, that this guy Robert Mueller had made several comments to people about trying to get a virgin. Ew! He was like really into like, oh, I want to fuck a virgin because he's bad at sex. <laughs> and at this point, I'm reading all these things about him that the Romacks knew about him. And I'm like, why are they still friends with him? Seriously. Like, you guys, you can't enable these people. Isn't it wild to hear people say those things about their friends? <laughs> you're just like, <laughs> and you're still friends with right. them? Right. Like, that is a cell phone. He was always this way. Like, Yeah, he was really pervy around yeah. young girls. 
he once said to my daughter that she was developing and I didn't think anything of it. <laughs> He's such a good man. Right. He, why would he do something? He couldn't he couldn't rape and kill someone. He was just a little perv. Oh my god. So According to Mr. Romack, he had once suggested that they go lurk around a park together. What? That was, <laughs> yes. I thought you one up it. I, dude, I, it's, it's just going to keep getting worse. He suggested, he suggested that the two of them go to a park together that was popular with students to, quote, get a nice young girl. See, this is like what we've talked about before where a serial killer or something it recruits someone to go along with him. And right. it's like, how did you know that they were going to go along with you and not call the police immediately? Like, right. Do you know what I mean? Like, right. It's crazy. Now, a statement from Mrs. Romack said that she had often felt uncomfortable with Robert what? Mueller. Now, now, you know what? This infuriated me also reading this because it's like, it's it's not, so it's not bad enough that this guy, you know he's pervy around young girls, but he's also making your wife uncomfortable and you're still having him over for dinner. Also, they didn't think of this day one. <laughs> like it took them months to be like, Hey, maybe this guy's the guy. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like I don't, I, they might've actually alerted the police. I think they alerted the police sooner than that. Okay. But the he wasn't arrested. Around. He wasn't arrested until two okay. months later because he wasn't a priority because yeah. they had to be racist about everything and right. botch this entire investigation. Because they're racist pieces of shit. So this Robert Mueller guy, he actually, like, Mrs. Romack said that one time he came over to their house when, like, unannounced when she was alone and he, like, grabbed her boobs. (gasps) And a quote from Mrs. Romack, she said, Mr. Mueller doesn't use his words, he uses his hands. Mm. Like a child. (laughs) I feel like if... Brendan had a friend who groped me and talked about wanting to fuck teenage girls. He wouldn't be friends with him anymore. No. Also, I I would dump anyone who was still friends with a guy. I know. I'd be like, "Oh, you don't care that your friend sexually assaulted me? Cool, right? And he treats women like shit, right? Gross. What kind of person are you? Yeah, Mr. Romack. Get a friend. Get new friends. Get new friends." (laughs) Now, Robert knew that Janet was going to be babysitting at the Romack home the night of March 18th. He had asked Janet if he could babysit for him, if she could babysit for him that night, but she declined because she was babysitting for the Romacks. Uh. Now, the morning after Janet's murder, Robert called Ed Romack and offered to help, quote, clean up the mess. This is before the story made the news. He oh. just called him the morning after the murder and said, hey, do you need any help cleaning up the mess? You mean uh, covering up evidence? <laughs> <laughs> right. Also, maybe acting like if he was there, then he could be like, oh, my hair and stuff were here. Do you know what I mean? Like, Right. And also just being like, I'm being very helpful. Yeah. The whole thing's a mess. And that's right. very common, I think, that you've heard. I've heard in the past, well, killers will show up at the scene of the crime. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and it also just was like very odd because like he, he wouldn't have had any way to know that there was, he also wouldn't have had any way to know that there was a mess in the house Yeah, because those, that information wouldn't be made public until later about the state of the house. He also told Romack that same morning, don't worry, I don't have any scratches on me. Ew. Yeah. This guy's... He's dumb. Now, Robert was known to carry a mechanical pencil around with him. 
And it was suspected that this pencil could have been responsible for the peculiar puncture marks that were found on Janet's scalp. Oh. He was always carrying this pencil around and clicking it. What like a nerd. He was one of those assholes who yeah. was just carrying it around clicking it all the time. Oh, I hate this guy. Yeah, he's awful. Robert Mueller was arrested May 4th, 1950 at the Romack home after Ed Romack had invited him over to play a fake card game. The police were like really adamant that they, when they arrested Mueller, that he had the pencil on him. They really wanted that pencil. So they're like, where can, where, how can we assure that he has a pencil on? Oh, say there's going to be a card game. And so he, he needs has to, to keep be- score. Yes. <laughs> the police were fucking insistent that he had this fucking pencil on him. Oh my God. Yeah. So they, Ed invites his friend Robert over for this fake card game, but instead of um, going to the card game, he was approached by Deputy Wettermeyer and uh, the sheriff, and I think another deputy as well. But instead of driving him back to the police station, he was driven by the police out to a farm by Deputy Wettermeyer's home and questioned there all throughout the night. Oh, weird. These fucking idiots didn't even take him back to the police station. Why? I don't know, Desi. <laughs> so weird. I don't fucking know what's going through their heads. Now, after being like unethically interrogated all night, like they did not follow any kind of police procedure whatsoever, he consented to a lie detector test. And in the morning, Robert Mueller was driven to Jefferson City to take the test and he passed. So he was let go. Now, the sheriff's department had failed to even request an arrest warrant for Robert Mueller. What? Yeah. So they just arrested him without anything. I guess that's why they didn't take him back to the station. I got it. Uh And I don't know how they thought they were going to get away with that one. Yeah. And the DA was completely unaware of this rogue interrogation that had gone on. On May 24th, the case was brought to a grand jury. But because the police had so badly bungled the arrest, Robert was never indicted. (sighs) The judge scolded the police for their shitty work, and Robert actually wound up suing the sheriff and the two deputies that arrested him. (laughs) Jesus. Now, fortunately, that case ended up being dropped. Okay. But Robert moved to Arizona, and he lived until 2006, where he died at the age of 83. Okay. And that was that. The murder and rape of Janet Christman has never been solved. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Even though, look, it's clearly this guy. <laughs> I think it's this guy. Yeah. I mean, who else would have done it? Do you think he did the other one, Mary? I do. So This yeah. guy sounds like he has a history of being a fucking Perf. sex pest. Yeah. And asshole. That's so wild. That's really sad. I mean, like I said before, I thought I was investigating one story, and I was investigating and researching the murder of Janet Christman, but at the end of the day, this is a story about shitty police. Yeah. And abhorrent behavior on their part, and the fact that essentially this guy got away with murder, I think he's the guy, personally. It's hard enough going to the police and reporting a rape or having police investigate sex crimes because they're notoriously will fuck it up. Yeah. But also it's like not only are, are did these police further harm the victims and the victim's family, they also ruin the la- the lives of black men in the community. Yeah. Be- like their racism didn't solve the murder and the rape 
and the racism put innocent men away. And did, did you learn anything about how this story inspired the movie or the screenwriter? The babysitter. Just so just like it was a babysitter being killed, basically. Yeah, because in the phone call, because uh-huh. she had... Right. Had her phone call disconnected. There's also another horror movie that uses the babysitter being murdered troped uh, that came out in 1974 called Black Christmas. Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah. Um, and I and I just think that, um, yeah, so... Did they, oh, one thing you never mentioned was the window being broken. Did they ever... Okay, so they suspected that whoever the killer was entered through the front door, which was unlocked. And they also suspected, oh, Janet knew her killer, like she let them in. And that when the killer left, he smashed the window on his way out to make it look like a break-in. Okay, so it was an after-the-fact. Yes, that's why there was nothing disturbed by the window. He just did it to make it look like a robbery or whatever. And that's what I would imagine this Robert Mueller guy, if we're imagining him as the killer. Yeah, it makes sense that he would have been let in. Right. Just awful, awful, right? Yeah, Yeah, it's really sad. Yeah, so yeah, that's the story of Janet Christman. Never been solved. That's sad. It's really sad. That's good. I actually did not know that that uh, movie was based on a real crime. Like when you told me what you were doing, I was like, oh, oh, I had no idea. Yeah. I mean, I I knew the urban legend, obviously. I wouldn't, I would say that the movie's more inspired by. Right. Because the movie's not... That story. That story, but it's more just loosely inspired by the babysitter being alone and being attacked. I want to watch that movie again. I was thinking about it because it it has a lot of twists and turns. It does. There's a lot of twists in it. It goes all over the place because I think when you think of the movie, you just think of the opening scene. But there's this whole other... There's a whole other thing. Right. And more twists and turns. Yeah. It's a good movie. One of the things I love about When a Stranger Calls is that... It just gets right into the action. It is so reminiscent of Scream. Like Scream did heavily borrow from oh, this film because the cold open is like you're immediately put into it's terrifying. Right. And I do feel like one of the scariest things for me in movies is when like you have to get through a door. <laughs> <laughs> like when she's at the end of the cold yes. opening. Yes. There's that fear where you realize you have to get through a door and it's like, it always is like something I think of when I'm terrified. Yeah. Like, will I fumble? Right. Like unlocking the deadbolts and like whatever to get out the door when someone's about to get you. It's so scary. It's so fucking, like that is the scariest thing to me in any type of movie, trying to get through like something. Um, There's another scary movie I love called like, I think it's called Wait Until Dark. Did you see that movie? I don't think so. Oh my God. So I think it's from the 70s, but I do think they remade it at some point. I never saw the remake, but it's like a really scary movie where when the lights go out, there's like these troll-like creatures in this woman's house. And there's a scene where like they finally cut the power so she can't turn the lights on. And all she has is like a Polaroid camera Oh, yeah, you flash. told me about this. Oh, did I? Yeah. It's so scary, though, because she keeps flashing the camera, so you see their faces. Oh, my God. And you know the flash is going to run out. Yeah. But it's just like this moment like where you're just like scrambling to like survive. Oh, Ugh, so I fucking scary. hate those movies. Now I'm scared. I have to walk to my car. Oh, <laughs> I was like getting freaked out last night watching this movie and just like even just reading the urban legends and stuff. Yeah, no, it's yeah. scary. I felt like a kid again. We should do like for a mini some urban legend. I would scary love things. to do yeah. that. Yeah. I would love I think that. That would be good. Yeah. So okay, cool. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.